Hello, and welcome to the Content and Community Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Ashby, and I'm an inbound content consultant and copywriter. In this episode, I spoke with community builder Christina Garnett. I had a great time chatting with her about how to personalize workflows while you're managing community, specifically her work with HubSpot and her SEMrush social listening course. Get the show notes and tra- transcript at ashleyashby.com podcast. Thank you to my sponsor for this episode, Send Check It, a free email subject line tester. Want to put your marketing email to the test? Head over to sendcheckit.com and get scored on your subject line. They'll compare it to over 100,000 marketing emails. And when you sign up for this free service, you'll also gain access to their weekly newsletter, which includes personalized subject line, testing usage statistics, marketing articles, and an email marketing job board. I've been using sendcheckit.com to help me prepare to launch some new campaigns, and it's been super easy to use and kept me on the right track with fantastic insights. Give it a try. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Do you find that people, like, don't use social media because they think, oh, it's just a broadcasting tool? Um, and they don't realize that you can use it for social listening. Um, like what you, you have a course on SEMrush on social listening, and I'm just wondering who signs up for mm-hmm. it and why. Yeah. yeah. Um, the majority of the people who sign up for the class tend to be, um, marketers, social media marketers who either have done a little bit of social listening, but like to do more of a deeper dive or are wondering, is there anything that they're really missing? Is there, is there any strategy that they need to have? A lot of social media managers, especially if they're a team of one, if there isn't a process in place, they have to cobble it together and they have to build it out themselves amongst Mm -hmm. all the other things they have to do, which is just incredibly difficult. And so the course offers a lot of worksheets and spreadsheets to kind of help guide you through the process to make it Mm -hmm. as easy as possible so that if you are a team of one or you could have a team, but maybe you're light on resources you're able to start really kind of implementing what a social listening strategy would be. So you can start capitalizing on that because otherwise you're kind of left to your own devices and you might just do like a brand search and Mm. miss out on everything else that you could be doing. Nice. Yeah. Actually a a company called contacted me like a year ago um, because they were interested in investing in, or they were investing in a certain product. And so they were, they were listening to that product on Twitter and like looking at who was engaging with the, the Twitter, ha- Twitter handle. Um, uh, this is their competitor, I mean. And so he sent me an email and he's like, I, I saw your tweet about this product. We have, you know, this competitor, blah, blah, blah. Um, could you like give me a little insight on this thing that you said it was really intriguing? You know, this reason why you would choose this product over a competitor. Um, and a lot, it's amazing how a lot, many people don't do that. They just search for, you know, like an industry mm-hmm. term or, or um, a service or a product yeah. name. Um, and I just, that's probably mm-hmm. why I love Twitter. It's like you can, you can learn so much about really anyone without actually even knowing them and without you knowing that you're researching them. So you don't have to worry about competitors being like, yeah, you know, feeling stalked or whatever. Um, do you have anyone like that who's... Uh, you know, doing a uh, user research or, or market research with, um, the skills that, that they give you through or that they learn through your course or. 
I've had a couple students reach out to me who've taken it, who've said that it's been very helpful and they've talked about how they've implemented a lot of it into their own, into their own team and the company that they're working with. And so that's been really helpful. That's been really nice to see. A lot of what I teach is what I myself do whenever I've had to create like a new social listening platform strategy, whether it be tool or native. Mm -hmm. I think it's also really interesting to note that social listening doesn't have to be tech specific. It can be tech agnostic or more importantly, it can be native. I don't want people to feel like social listening is a budgetary constraint where they don't have that opportunity to listen and learn more about their their audience or prospective audience because they don't have access to a tool. So a lot of the course is making sure that I infuse the element of if you don't have a resource, if you don't have budget for this, here's what's available to, to you. Here's the opportunities that you can tap into across Twitter, across TikTok, across Instagram, across Facebook, LinkedIn, anything to really be able to start capitalizing on what is there. And a, a lot of times I found that um, I tend to lean on native more than I tend to lean on a tool just because you wind up having some content doesn't parse through. And mm -hmm. so especially if there's something that's like escalation worthy and the tool didn't find it, it, it that's irrelevant. That's absolutely irrelevant. You still didn't catch it. And so mm. it's really, it's really interesting to see that, um, we see social listening more from like an escalation standpoint. And I really like to see it as more from a audience engagement, community fostering, and also just like a love opportunity. There's a lot of brand affinity that can be had through social listening, but you won't know mm. unless you're actually listening to them and finding out what's important to them, what matters to them, what makes them feel special. And you're able to tap into those conversations. Awesome. I think that's partly why I followed you on Twitter, because that's exactly how I feel. And I, I think I see so many companies that I discovered because I had to do, like, I'm a pretty good researcher and I had to do some real digging to find a company that would do X thing. Um, and I mm -hmm. look them up on Twitter or something and I say something to them or I tweet an article they wrote or whatever. And they either don't say anything or they, or they just say thank you. And then they don't take it any farther and it's like I'm clear like I'm what I'm a big fan of what I call like super fans like people should be engaging super yep. fans and not just you know mm -hmm. an influencer you know get an influencer to broadcast you know a, 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 a CTA mm -hmm. or something um and it's it's just it kind of makes me sad like it's it's as you're saying mm -hmm. these th these things are totally accessible you can do them natively especially mm -hmm. through Twitter or, or LinkedIn especially if you have uh, like uh, navigator sales navigator. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. and, uh, you can also get so much intelligence, like even SEO intelligence, I found like, like yeah. you can see what phrases people are using to, to, to talk yeah. about their problems and you can use mm -hmm. all of that to, to, um, you know, create subject titles for your knowledge base. For example, if you know, you want to be found yeah. when people search for their problem or I just, uh, social listening is amazing because it opens up all these doors that you can not only use for marketing, but you can use for product development um, customer service, like you're saying, you know, if, if you, um, you know, want to instill loyalty in someone, it's just, oh, so when I saw your course, it's like, <laughs> yes, you, you go, Christina. That's amazing. That's so amazing. Yeah. And how's, oh, how are you. things at HubSpot? Oh, you're welcome. How are things at HubSpot? HubSpot. HubSpot's great. Um, yeah. we were lucky enough to be listed on the fast company, um, 2022, uh, brands that matter list. That was fantastic. It highlighted, it highlighted, um, the creator, the creator team here at HubSpot. They do an amazing job. So it's always lovely to see 
that the work that we're doing internally that people are noticing and I know um, some of the members on the team and they're just brilliant and kind and do great work. So it's always, it's always lovely to wake up and you see that people on the, that HubSpotters are getting recognized. It's always nice. Oh, uh, I bet that must feel really good. I was actually, um, mm-hmm. one of my previous guests, I haven't uh, released this podcast as, um, at the time of this recording, but, um, he basically runs his business through HubSpot, like remotely. Um, and I was oh, actually I on, that. yeah. And he, uh, well, he, he uses other tools of course, but, um, he lo- he, lo- he in the podcast episode, or maybe it was when I was on his podcast. Anyway, I'll link to it on social. But um, he loved that he loved that so many workflows were natively integrated. You don't need to like find a product that sets mm-hmm. up with this and make sure that you do this, and so it not only keeps like team members on the same page, but it can um, mm-hmm. it can help like break silos. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of breaking, especially sales and marketing silos. And yeah. I think especially with a tool like HubSpot or Salesforce or any of those tools, Zoho, I'm on Zoho now. Um, I just love like that you can connect one department with another with, and have that mm-hmm. automated. So you don't need, it's not like you have to set up an email or make up a meeting or ask someone to make a note of something or, ah, oh, I just, I, I don't know. I, I love all that stuff. Yeah. Do you no, have that's a- that's good though. I think- yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask you what your favorite workflow is, either through HubSpot or anything in your life. Um, I, I really like creating workflows for, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, so one of the things that I really love is we have a, what most people probably call a drip campaign um, for our Hub fans. And so I want to be able to give as much opportunities to our hub fans program as possible. I want to be able to talk to them one-on-one, give them opportunities in the community to talk. But when it comes down to acknowledging milestones and things, it can be difficult because we have thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are in the program. And so one of the things that we have set up is when you reach a specific tier of points in the hub fans program, you get an email congratulating you for that as well as letting you know, like, all right, here's the next tier that you're a part of. Here's what you can do. And if you have any questions, you can contact Christina. And so it's a really great way that it's something that makes them feel special. It reminds them about the program. It, it goes immediately once they hit that, like it's triggered by their behavior. And so it's a really great way to make sure that they feel seen and supported, but then that means that I, like you said previously, it means I get the time that I would have spent creating that email, sending it out manually one by one. I can instead spend that time actually having like one-on-one conversations in DMs with these people yeah. and saying like, hey, thank you so much for doing this. And I really appreciate that. That finding out like the priorities and doing the dance of what stays human and what can be automated is incredibly important because you can't do it all on a human level. So you have to be very, very um, judicious about what is going to make people feel the most special. So I want them to feel recognized for the different tiers that they're a part of. And if they have an anniversary coming up, we have a hub fans challenge um, that automatically triggers within the community when they've been a hub fan for over a year. And so they get extra points for being a part of that. It pop-ups automatically. I don't have to do anything because it's, I've set it up and scheduled it. And that's just one more thing that it would eat all of my time with these little things when I can instead take that time to be like, oh, 
how was your how was your trip? I just saw that you got on vacation or hey, wanted to let you know we're doing end of your gifts and I just wanted to send you something. Like those things I'm able to prioritize what my human connection looks like while still making sure that I have other touch points. And so I that's what I think the beauty of workflows is is you're able to judiciously prioritize what needs to feel human and what can still feel special even if it's automated. And so that's that's when I think the the work is done correctly is you you might know that it's an automated email but you still feel special it's still you still understand why you're getting it it still helps you and provides value um so those are that's the kind of that's the kind of work that i i really like doing is is having that that dance that dance between the human and the and the workflows that's awesome and i think i think um automations there's still a bit of uh, apprehension about using them because people think oh well i'm not being human i'm not being personal but when you use automations correctly, when they're that when they're um, dynamic, you know they're based on someone's behavior, someone's activity. Um, that itself is personal, and then but you're also giving them an option to contact you personally. So it's not like you're, you know, saying I, you know, I'm not going to talk to you ever. Don't don't email me because I'm busy and just go through this auto workflow. And I, that's partly why I love uh, I love uh, automations too. Like I, our workflows in general, um, I just think it opens up so many doors. And uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's really cool, actually, that that um, mm-hmm. your community can is customized like that. Um, do you find? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was just babbling. I was gonna say I really. <laughs> um, no, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. I was gonna say the other thing that I do like about that kind of work too is I'm I taught game theory. Um, I used to be a math teacher in a previous life, oh. and so I taught game theory. And so I find that workflows are such like. When am I ever going to use this in my life? Workflows. Because you have to think about, especially if it's behavior driven, like what are all the different like paths that this person could take and what would they expect to see and how would those things be different based on what behavior they took or didn't take? And so if you like game theory, I think, I think being able to really dive into that is really fascinating because you do, you do use the mechanics of game theory and you have to figure out like what are the different pathways based off of choice and understanding that it isn't necessarily going to go the way that you want it to go, but you have to have an allowance for those other behavior opportunities. That's awesome. Do you, uh, I bet that's really interesting on your side, like from an analytics perspective, like to see, um, you know, how people go through that journey and, and yeah, that would be really interesting. Well, I think it's, I think it's always interesting too. It'll keep you honest because I think the trap that a lot of marketers fall into is that we, we kind of, we kind of, um, put our own kind of behavior traits on the people that we're trying to work with. And so we assume that the consumer or the audience is going to act the way that we would. So I always like to be able to have different behavior points because it keeps you honest in a sense that you're going to see like, oh, they did not behave the way that I thought they were going to. They went in a completely different direction or I thought they were going great and then it got to this part of the path and then they completely stopped reacting. Things like that I think are really interesting and I think as someone who's, I, I love behavioral psychology, I'm a hyper observant, I'm that person in the airport that people watches. Mm. Um, it's just, it's just kind of always a part of that. And so it's always, it's always interesting to look into the results to see, like, did people 
behave the way that I thought they were going to? Or do I need to tweak the workflow because it's not going the correct way? Or there's clearly a bottleneck that I've created because my behavior does not, or what I have set up is not indicative of what they were expecting based on their behavior. Oh, that would be interesting. I think um, mm-hmm. that's like, I think community should always be iterated um, based on everything mm-hmm. you just said. And I think uh, a lot of people are tempted to kind of set it and forget it. Oh, we, we did it. We had this, mm-hmm. you know, community thing or whatever. And, you know, it showed that we cared and that's all we need to do. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. I love, I love, uh, I haven't set up my own community just because I, I don't really have the bandwidth for that. But, um, yeah, I, I think that I would probably want it to be, have some sort of, um, analytics and personalization instead of just being mm-hmm. like a static forum or something. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to see if that would affect, I guess you could AB test that too, right? Like to have, you know, one forum that's. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not personalized and not, you don't really have any workflows or analytics for it. And then another one that does, and just to mm-hmm. see, you know, have, have the same kind of question. Well, I think you can see if it affects it. <laughs> well, I think you can kind of see that in web three with the web three communities that set up a discord and then they'll have bots do like half the work and introduce them and do all the onboarding. Um... Most of those discords don't work. Yeah, because you get true. in there, and you immediately understand that you're just being fed into this hyper community, and there's the bot. It's going to tell you how to behave. And it's going to tell you where to do things. But then, the community has to survive past the bot. Mm. If the bot's the only one talking to you, there's and, and it's clearly a bot. That's that's a major issue because. The whole sense of community is a human experiment. So if I go in there and I'm never talking to any other humans, is it really a community? Or am I just collectively in the same room with a lot of bots? Nice. And so I think there I think that balance I think that balance is even more fragile um in Web3, especially as more people are focused on tech stack. I think that's what's really interesting, as I saw an article in the Atlantic. Um and I shared it on Twitter earlier today, but it was talking about Taylor Swift and her fandom and how mm. she's actually the closest person to creating like an actual metaverse because she has the community and the community is cross-platform. Mm. And so a lot of people who are building the metaverse, the conversation is more tech-focused. It's more how does the tech make this work instead of the tech is useless if the community can't thrive there. If the community, and and I find that that's what a lot of community builders can get kind of stuck in. It's a really sexy trap to fall into is, ooh, what's our tech stack going to be? But that's irrelevant Mm. if the community doesn't want to be there or the community is not prepared for or they don't have a reason to even be there together or they're already taken care of somewhere else. And so... I, I loved the, I, like one of the quotes that it, that, um, from the article was talking about it, that me, the metaverse problem is not a tech problem. It's a community and culture problem. And I was like, that is brilliant. Oh, that that is, is spot on. Wish I had a pen. And that's why the metaverse is struggling, but, <laughs> but that's why the metaverse is struggling. That's why a lot of companies are struggling to kind of get into the thing because they're seeing it from that tech, that technological POV instead of. We actually need, like, how do we get 
culture and community to work. And that's also why the metaverse is really working where it is working at all is in gaming because gaming is hyper community driven, like hyper community driven. Like mm. Fortnite doesn't exist if community's not a thing. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Roblox doesn't exist if community's not a thing. And so the metaverse options that are translating quite well and have the least friction, it's not the technology. It's that they're more community focused. And so when you have people who are saying like, we're going to build the metaverse and you're going to do zoom calls in there, I'm like, you don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. not why people want to go there. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I, I highly recommend the Atlantic article. It's, it's fantastic. If you search like Atlantic Taylor Swift metaverse, you'll see it, but it's, okay. it's excellent. And it comes, it, it has really valid points and that's, you have that shift from like, what's going to actually be able to provide the most thriving community. And if you have one already established, then that's just a matter of like holding their hand into web three instead of trying to build something completely new over there and hoping that a community will spring up out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh, I think Taylor Swift would be an amazing guest on my podcast. <laughs> She's just fascinating. <laughs> Do you remember a few years ago? I don't remember what, when it was, but she was like launching an album and she had, mm -hmm. I think she has like three houses or something. And she, um, like as a pre-launch would have her, like her fan base, like her most, her most loyal fans or super fans, I call them, um, would be at like each, each of her houses or whatever. And then she'd surprise them and they would listen to the album together with her there. And, and it was like, it was one of the reasons it was so successful because she was, she was like providing a platform for her biggest fans to mm -hmm. to spread that into the universe and and that you know their their in, you know their Instagram fan pages of Taylor or whatever it is, um, she's really really fascinating and I'm not I'm not at all surprised that she's uh, leading the way in this. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. But what's her name? <laughs> Taylor Swift. Come on my podcast. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Do you um do you find that? a certain type of person is more likely to join hub fans? Like, do, like, do they have certain characteristics of, of like using your platform? Are they, are they super users or are they just new to community and want to learn more? Or, or is it like a mixed bag? It's a bit of a mixed bag. So we have, we have like the macro community of HubSpot community in general, and there's micro communities inside of those within hub fans. Um, we have, where anyone who wants to, who loves HubSpot and wants to talk and connect with others is welcome to join. There's no, there's no gate there. If you want to learn more and you want to connect, you are more than welcome. We'd love to have you. Um, but we do want to be able to offer opportunities for those top level advocates of super fans, as you would call them. And so we have Hub Fans Council, which is our top advocates. And they are, and I would say all of them collectively have a deep love of HubSpot and they want to connect. Um, beyond that, our top advocates are positively brilliant, like know the product, like the back of their hand are super users, but go beyond that. They have this humility where they don't just necessarily want to gatekeep and act like the smartest person in the room. They collectively want to help people. So we have customers and we have partners and they want to help others understand how HubSpot can help them. So they want to do demos and they want to write blogs about like a new feature. They want to go to inbound and, and share what they thought was the most important. So people who didn't get a chance to go still get to reap the rewards of the knowledge that was shared while they were there. And so there's this really humble, helpful spirit that a lot of the hub fans have. They, 
they are very generous of spirit. They are kind. I mean, they're the smartest and kindest people you'll meet. They and they. That's that's really cool. That's really cool. And I love that it's it's not gated. There's no barriers to entry. I love all those posts I keep seeing on LinkedIn mm-hmm. about about um, the value in not gating something. You know, yes, you don't have the attribution, mm-hmm. but you get more people and you get more intelligence. People are, are more um, more uh, likely to join because they don't feel like they're going to be hustled. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the ungating movement, I find, is... I, I found it really, really interesting. Um, my only, my only challenge, and I, I, I'd be interested in how you would um, deal with this. Um, I know, how, I know, uh, your community is different from uh, Facebook groups and things like that. But um, I find group Facebook groups that are private and have like conditions for joining. You know, you have to fill out a form, and then some like an admin has to manually approve you. I find those places are much. The conversation's a lot better. Um, I don't know if mm-hmm. that's just because, um, you know, people who don't meet the criteria are filter- filtered out and don't even get a chance to come in or people just feel more comfortable mm-hmm. because it's private. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. What, what do you what do you find about like what's what's the fine line between, you know, making it comfortable and safe for people and also, mm-hmm. um you know, not stifling, you know, not making people apathetic or, or reluctant to join. What do you, what, how do you, how would you deal with yeah. that? You need guidelines regardless, whether it's open or closed, because for whatever, for whatever it's worth, we're all adults, but most of us don't act like it. So you need to create safe space and an expectation of what, what is good behavior look like? What does bad behavior look like? I'm lucky. I haven't had to really do any of that. Um, we have guidelines for hub fans, but they're all lovely. So I've, I've been very blessed. I haven't had to really do anything, but I've had to with other communities. I've had to with the marketing Twitter, um, community group. There's been people who've had to be kicked out because they were doing all sorts of things that they shouldn't be doing in there that were against, um, the rules. I think it really depends, um, as to why you're gating. If you're gating for information, people know that we have been in this age for quite some time for decades now. I know why I'm giving you my email address. I know what's going to happen because I give you my email address in order to access something, whether it's a paywall, whether it's gated content, whether it's a community, there is an exchange. And so that's great. Assuming that what's going to be on the other side of that access is worth me giving my email address. It also does remove people from that. So what you're getting is, you're getting a smaller selection of people who are willing to go through whatever that hoop is in order to get to the other side. And it can be monetary. It can be data driven. It can be whatever. Um, but what you're going to get is you're going to get the people who are willing to make that sacrifice. I find that like for Facebook groups, that's more needed than anything else because that is the wild west. It shouldn't be, but it is the wild west over there. People love, Like there's a group for everything from like hate to baking products. Like you'll find a group for absolutely everything. And so you need to be more careful about um, those groups because they can get quite rowdy quite easily. And especially if it's open when you have millions and millions of people who are Facebook users and anyone could find your group and be a part of it. It's 
you have, like, I would choose, if it was a Facebook group, which I wouldn't create, but if I did create a Facebook group, it would have to be a private group because there has to be some mm. sense of control mm-hmm. because there are beha- the behavior norms of LinkedIn, say, versus the behavior norms of Facebook are quite different. Just like the behavior norms of Twitter are quite different. The, the way you would act if you were angry on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn will look very different. Your goal might be the same. But the way that you exhibit and symptomize that behavior is very different. And so it really depends on if you're going to be doing community on social channels, you have to be very, very keenly aware of what behavior norms are there and be ready to essentially prepare for worst case scenario and have those guidelines so that you're like, all right, do we allow cussing in this group? Do we allow negative feedback? Do we allow... um, like what, what is good disagreements look like? I think that's the other thing mm. that we have to think about from a community lens, no matter where it is, is that we collectively as a society have forgotten how to disagree. We love to argue. We don't know how to disagree. We want to immediately mm. attack people who disagree with us and go on the offensive. And so that's not necessarily appropriate for every single disagreement. You can disagree with people politely and say like, okay, well, um, we, we don't see eye to eye here, or I'm going to continue to give my, my side of how I would see this argument, but I'm not going to be disrespectful. I'm not going to be argumentative in tone. I'm just going to state how I feel about things. Um, and so I think that's something to keep in mind for community, whether it lives on Facebook, whether it lives in a forum, no matter where that lives, is there is this, this kind of lost art of disagreeing that we need to, and debate that we need to hopefully get back to. Nice. Yeah. It's, um, I found in all sorts of groups that the 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 quality of the group also depends on the moderation because I mean mm-hmm. when you have rules for something, I think sometimes people like assume that it will be a really great group because you know it's been filtered quite thoroughly, um, but I find not necessarily because sometimes the the moderator their moderation just isn't there or where there's, there's no, mm-hmm. there are no people in charge of like breathing life back into it. If the conversation's dead for a week, you know, what, what's the protocol for mm-hmm. bringing it back to life again? Um, yeah, that's partly why I haven't d- done my own kind of community, even as like a client kind of thing is like, it's, that's a big, that's a big responsibility. Like, because I think modern mm-hmm. people need to take moderation more seriously because it is, as you say, like things can get out of hand and Mm -hmm. people don't necessarily have like a a personal decorum for how to behave about um, whatever they disagree with or whatever. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good thing to remember for people. Um, That's I think, and I think you're seeing that too, because there's this influx of people who are creating communities because Mm -hmm. they want to build a community they may not be thinking about what it needs and what it works for. And then you also have growth hackers who are coming out here who, who can't wait to tell you that they have 100,000 people in their community, but that doesn't mean it's a healthy community. It doesn't mean that those people are taken care of. It doesn't mean that those mm. people are engaged or that people, they're moderating. We live in a very growth-heavy society where everything is about, well, how quickly did you grow it? And when you're so focused on growth, you kind of lose sight of all the weeds that you need to take care of. And so that oh, I completely yeah. agree. Moderation is incredibly helpful. 
Um, but people lose sight of it because the mo it's the that's the unsexy side. That's the that's the stuff that you just got to do. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't like to think about that. They'd much rather be like, see how big the community is. Be like, but is it healthy? Are you taking care of it? Are you taking care of those weeds and moderating and making sure people have what they need and giving them reasons to return? Or are you just counting the heads so that you can go on Twitter and LinkedIn and do like a humble brag and do your posts? I think that's also a, a big thing that we're seeing. Um, I, I tend to turn off people who... Um, who want to tell me how quickly they grew something like they drew their yes. LinkedIn following in like three months. And I'm just like, I'm good. I'm out. I no, I don't yeah. care because your reason to be there and my reason to be there are clearly very different because I don't collect people. That's not yeah. my job. That's not what I want to do. These are, these are humans and I want to be there for them and give them something special, but I'm not collecting them. They're not just a number to me so that I can do a post for engagement. And so I find that we need less of that mindset, less of that. Let me show you how I growth hacked this, like less of that, please. Yeah, I feel like to get less of that too, um, a lot of people will need um, better literacy on what, what are this, what, what, what signals quality, um, mm -hmm. what, what signals that something is scalable or has already scaled. Um, it's like, it's mm -hmm. like the, the people who, um, you know, the companies that brag about how many people they onboarded in a week or how many ebook subscribers they got or whatever. And that doesn't mean those people are, are qualified, you know, um, mm -mm. prospects. It doesn't really doesn't mean anything. And it's, it, yeah. it's very misleading to suggest like that a vanity metric suggests quality. Um, I, I, mm -hmm. I think that if, if people really understand data, they'll see through that and, and good for them because mm -hmm. like you, they'll, they'll know that it's just not for me and move on. But I do mm -hmm. think there's, there's this, there's this tendency of a lot of companies to rely on people's ignorance about, about data, you know, it's like, I, I mm -hmm. think that's a huge problem in the influencer community. It's like, you should oh, hire me as an influencer because I have 30,000 followers. That doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't mean mm -hmm. anything. It's like my, my example is always that, you know, you could probably make more money long term from someone who has like 20 followers on Twitter, but like they're really well mm -hmm. connected to their community because they have a real stake in that community succeeding yep. or they have a real stake in the product. Mm -hmm. um, so they want to support you because it's just inherent to, you know, their business or whatever the community is. Um, and people are, are shocked by that. That, that, you know, the following mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't really mean what they think it means. So I'm kind of shifting that. I'm the only educate in, in my business, like the education side of my business mm -hmm. is like helping become people become more literate and, and, and just understand what those signals are about, about scaling, about, um, quality. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it kind of breaks my heart when I see or hear a horror story, for example, um, I, I don't know if you've seen on, on, mm -hmm. on Twitter, but there's a lot of SEO horror stories that people share on Twitter. Um, oh, about, I keep like, hearing, I keep hearing I about like SEO drama over there. Yeah, I know. Like there's a lot, like there's, there's examples of, you know, I, I hired this company because they said they get like a hundred backlinks or something, or they get a lot of traffic. And then it turns out like none of that traffic is qualified. It's just like bots. Mm -hmm. Or yep. um, they don't under they don't know how to read a scope of work to tell if it's like a legitimate, mm -hmm. you know. So you get people who are basically taking an automated SEO report and charging people like ten mm -hmm. grand for it, and I mean like really basic, like yep. 
what what you know images are slowing down your site and stuff like that that I could pull up now in like 30 seconds and it wouldn't cost me a, a dollar and mm-hmm. yeah it's like there's 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 this really poor literacy I think people have when they hire anyone for um, especially SEO and marketing it's like the the expectations are, are are different from how things actually work and I see that too um, in you know salespeople or even companies that hire like a social media person I, I actually just stopped mm-hmm. looking for jobs in social media because I found that everyone who was hiring especially in the sectors that I was looking in and ha- even had interviews for they there's this idea that, you know, if you tweet about something, people will open the link and then buy something and that's it. And that's the expectation yeah. a lot of people have. And so when they're building for the wrong yeah. expectations and charging for the wrong expectations, you can't possibly make money for that. And then the, the social media yeah. person gets the blame for it. And I just, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. But I think a lot of it yeah. just goes back to like what I was saying before, a really, really lacking digital literacy it just makes you mm-hmm. prime for scams it, it makes you prime for losing your time mm-hmm. if you're joining groups like yep. like you're saying that aren't poor are, are not um you know screened properly are not moderated mm-hmm. properly um yeah it's like if you don't have that literacy you're gonna waste your money on all that stuff and then you're just gonna mm-hmm. be so jaded that you're not you know you're gonna throw your hands up about it um do do you find people get really frustrated with technology and uh you know like for hubspot for example and you know, if HubSpot didn't exist, they would just, you know, change sectors because <laughs> it's just, there's too much drama and they don't know if they're being scammed or not. And ugh, so much drama. <laughs> Can I pause you for a second? My, yeah, yeah, my laptop's ahead. about to die. So I need to, I need to charge it. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Sorry. The oh, cat no must worries. have like flipped it over. So I was at 4% and I didn't want it to die. It's <laughs> so, like time yeah. back in. Yeah, exactly. I feel like um, all of us have had have had like animal issues, especially since COVID. Like, <laughs> I, I think I was doing like, sure. a, a a recording with someone or like a, a meetup with someone or something. Uh, it was always one of those group things, you know. Like there was like all these virtual events during COVID, and I think my dog like kept interrupting. Oh no, I remember what it was. I did I did a I did a podcast a video podcast for a company. Um, or a seminar or something and like through half of it it's like you can hear it's like my dog like whining because he he doesn't like it when i shut the door so i feel bad anyway animal drama but um to get back to your question um yes i definitely see that um i think that that's why hubspot academy is so important because it does provide a free opportunity to have that kind of digital literacy. So you can learn about SEO or you can learn about inbound marketing or sales and you can kind of see what the red flags are. So I find that that's very helpful. And so that's been a really great opportunity for HubSpot to kind of come in from that educational lens to provide those support so people can spot scams and they're, they're able to kind of flex that muscle so that they don't waste their time. Mm -hmm. That being said, I think that we also have to set a good example we talk a lot about community, but if you go in the HubSpot community and you're not being taken care of or you don't see any good value or you don't feel represented in there, then we're not doing our job and we need to be we need to be doing that better. So I think it's very much like providing resources for people so that they can have the literacy that they need in order to know what's working and what's not working and what's going to give value to them. But then additionally, we have to be a leader and not just a thought leader who says things in a tweet, but we have to actually embody the the content that we're that we're 
sharing that we that we not only talk the talk but we walk the walk and so I think that that's that's a mainstay in what we do nice I took the in the what was it I think it's the HubSpot's inbound marketing course. I don't know, three or four years ago. It is Mm -hmm. such a good course for anyone who's interested. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not just saying that because Christina is my guest. (laughs) Hi, dog. My dog. Um, We were literally just talking. I think I think his ears were burning. He knew I was talking about him. Um, Yeah, it's a really, really, really great course. I can see how a course could help Mm -hmm. alleviate some of the uh, the risk of you know diving into something Mm -hmm. without fully understanding, you know, how not to get scammed mm-hmm. or how to get value out of something or yeah, that's really exciting. And I think, I think it's a, I think it's also an opportunity for not only for small business owners, but also, um, emerging talent to be able to find ways to be able to be into the sector because there's so many brilliant minds out there, but maybe they don't have the resources to go to college for marketing. And so it's a really great way to kind of give them that entry into the space to learn and see, is this really what I want to do without spending money on a course that I don't necessarily have? And so it really removes those barriers, which I think is is highly important. A lot of us think about like small business owners taking those courses, and that's definitely a fantastic opportunity for them to learn, especially if they don't have the capacity and they're bootstrapping. So they don't have, they don't have the option to hire somebody. So they're doing that work themselves, but there's also just a lot of great future talent who, they're figuring out if marketing or sales is right for them because they're taking classes in HubSpot Academy and seeing, does this click? Does this make sense to me? Is this something that I could become passionate about? You're muted. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know. There should be like a little bubble or something that says when you're muted, a little pop up. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, if I followed every, uh, like the, the conference on the MBAON conference on Twitter and, Lots of companies were writing blog posts about like their, their, their seminars in the conference or what they learned from other people or whatever. And, um, you know, in, uh, HubSpot has all these great courses and, uh, you know, the, the whole reason I did this content and community podcast is because I, I love, I basically just what you described, um, that the people can mm-hmm. figure out if something is right for them, they can, they can vet it for themselves mm-hmm. by seeing what's happening in a community you know, dipping their feet in without making a full commitment, without buying a huge ticket or without, you know, throwing money at a course if you're not even sure if it's the right fit for you. Or, um, I, I love that community and content can, can do that. It's, it's, it's really helpful mm-hmm. to help you um, figure out where you belong. Like, I can't remember, was it you? Who the, no, I don't think it was you. Someone else, I, I, I use the analogy of... Um, you know that blind melon video with the bumblebee? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. To me, I think that's like the perfect metaphor. It's like you need <laughs> to be able to see a community in action and see them, you know, see how things really work before you really dive in. Um, yeah. Yeah. HubSpot does that for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining me on my podcast. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the show. I'll be sharing a lot more insights on workflows in my podcast, blog, and email list. So subscribe to my website at ashleyashby.com slash content hyphen insights to get them in your inbox. Thanks again to my guest, Christina Garnett, and my sponsor, sendcheckit.com. See you next time.